fermented cabbage. Look at you in your fucking luxurious fucking bathrobe. I hope you've got clothes on underneath that. <laughs> G'day, everyone. How's it going? <laughs> We're live. We're uh, back. Could, you can stop crying. It was only a week. Uh, G'day, Dean. How you going, mate? And uh, we've just been having a little bit of a catch up offline because that's what we do. And we've been working out what shit we're going to fucking feast your ears on tonight. So welcome to the Knife Making Down Under podcast, Pubcast. Andrew Smith, g'day, g'day. How you going? How's it going, everyone? We've got a few of the regular faces popping up. Good to see. So it's been, well, I guess, effectively two weeks now since people have heard us bore them to death or near to death. A lot's kind of happened in two weeks too, actually. Like, it's been a pretty full-on two-week process. What have you guys been up to? I made a knife. That is fucking stupendous. Now you're Golf done for 2020, Corn. I'm done. Pack the tools up. Roll on 2021. Fuck you. You've got six fucking months to go to get started on another one. To get started, correct. Kev. Not finish. Get finished. started. No, I'm not fucking stupid. <laughs> yes. Uh, so that knife that you posted up, I have to admit, I was one of the ones that was, well, kind of inebriated. Uh, uh, funny that. Um, watching that fucking click thing over and over and over again, it was almost a bit like a. Um, hypnotic state that I ended up in <laughs> click, click 20 minutes of that, fucking falling asleep on the couch, woke up thinking I was a chicken, fucking got a bit fucking serious Yeah, I fuck with them a lot to get that but anyway, you get that mm. Sausage is there, g'day Julianne good to see you again, g'day Julianne how are you? Um, we have with us a special guest tonight, we've got Mert Hefner from his Playboy Mansion in the Hunter Valley <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got my fucking bathrobe on. Yes, not because I'm a pimp. It's fucking cold in the Hunter Valley. And I'm about to start a GoFundMe page to get myself a better shed build because I got no insulation. It's fucking cold, okay? That's the reason I'm in the. How much are you charging? How much are you charging for a night with Kev? <laughs> We're going to get a fans only page set up. Bathrobes, <laughs> bathrobes come off. Hey. Swipe up the sea pictures. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> uh, I think our viewer just our viewer record just dropped off significantly. <laughs> Is Matt wearing dress down on a skin fucking sheep? Oh, fuck. Yeah. Anyway, so speaking about what we done, I done everything about making a knife. I made myself a um drum forge i made myself a crucible forge i made a what else did i do i made a tamagana smelting forge setup i made a post anvil and i made everything but fucking making nice and i broke my drill press yay that's what i've done last week you're good at breaking shit last time it was your power hammer now it's your drill press before that it was a vfd look, your grinder look, my power hammer is fixed thanks to my friend I want to give a shout out to my friend Cole, and he's a machinist and he's an engineer. 
when he comes to my shop, first 15 minutes, we spend on like, I, I spend on making kind of like calm down because he looks at my dodgy fixes and the, the way I built my tables and shit. He looks at the engineer like, oh my God, the, the, the tables are not 90 degrees. There's better ways of doing it and all that. He goes fucking crazy. <laughs> and he said, last time he came and he fixed my power hammer, but you're making tamaga. And he said, he said, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to fucking fix this. He made my, he made me a table so I can put my fire bricks. So the tamagana smelter thing is like at the same angle, same distance, everything. Yeah. Jamie Bishop. Sorry, Matt. My car is stuffed. I'll be up soon. Jamie, don't worry about it, man. My the drill's fucked. He was going to come to fix the drill press, but it's fucked. I'm just going to have to buy a new one. That drill press was fucked a long time ago. I fixed it. I fixed, yeah, you I fixed fucking be up. putting band-aids you on You fixed it good, Matt. Yeah, you fixed it. <laughs> <laughs> you motherfuckers hit it, on me. Hit the the belt was broken. I fucking fixed the belt. <laughs> then the starter shit, the, the starter, whatever the piece is called, fucking shit itself. And I had to start it like an old car. I, I was like rolling <laughs> the thing and... <laughs> cranking that, up the fucking that, handle. Yeah, cranking up the handle. First, I was like rolling the, the spinning the, the the spindle. Then I end up like getting a stick. I was like rolling with the stick to get the grooves and traction on. Sounds like it's working perfectly. <laughs> Here's and, the ticket. And the other day, I turned it on. Smoke came oh. up and. <laughs> that shit. Whew. All right, for those that are going to stick around, we're going to talk about forges and uh, probably pick up some um, viewer questions as we go. Yeah, for sure. And uh, what have you been up to, Kev? Oh, mate, I've been making a few custom orders. I just finished off a eight-and-a-half-inch random pattern Damascus Bowie that, you know, not my usual style, but I really enjoyed that build. That was kind of cool. I got another one of those, a 10-inch one, to come customer order uh but out of sight of that mate i've been sort of gearing up to get back into teaching i've done a couple of classes and then um pretty much from this weekend onwards it just goes like into a fucking mild fucking period of uh craziness i've got seven seven courses in total in july so i've got Plenty of midweek courses and plenty of weekend courses, which is good. So just gearing up for that, mate, because I haven't done the full-on lot of teaching since the coronavirus bullshit closed us down. So kind of looking forward to getting into my little realm there and having a bit of fun. Um, been doing a little bit of just basic Damascus making again. The last lot that I did, I had a couple of fucking problems with um, the fucking welds. And, you know, we'll move on to our talk about forges and whatnot soon. But um, I found a little problem with the forge and it just wasn't quite getting up the temp. Fix that fucking things like bullshit fucking hot now. So a bit of maintenance around the workshop. Yeah. I've been playing with my forge, probably seen on Facebook the other day. Yeah, with the, yesterday, with the wasn't? viewer discretion, yeah. don't fucking do this at home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Eye on those fucking CO2 tweeters, mate. <laughs> you got to get your thrill I'll somewhere. I'll put it under the cover when I drop my guts and see if I can fucking 
get it bleeping. <laughs> I'm off the drink, so I've got to get me frill somewhere. Oh, fuck yeah. Corona time. Look at this. He's, folks, he's drinking cups of tea. You, yeah, keep... fucking <laughs> terrible. My poor old fucking liver is wondering what it's going to do. It's like demarcation. Oh, no, you've got to give me something to do. But anyway. Mm. Jamie's, Jamie's put a nice comp up there for you, Mert. Wall down, mofo. you got to join the wall down club. Start looking. I looked it up. I couldn't find it on Facebook. And I'll probably go. But... Contact Matthew McVicker. Yeah. <laughs> Contact Matthew McVicker. <laughs> Hit up McVicker. That's all you got to do. Got about he's, seven he's a, he's Tell the, him you want a wall down. He's the pimp of wall downs. Yeah. He is. He, is. he knows where they <laughs> he, are. Not only... he knows how how yeah. how long they've been up for sale. Yeah, he'll tell you what price and the whole bit. Just contact Matty McVicker. You can't go wrong. Yeah, I don't think he got me mine. I got mine off uh, Fabian or Joel or one of the guys down in Wollongong. So I got mine through McVicker. So he, he just hit him up, man. Tell him you want a fucking wall down. Jamie Bishop has two. He'll sort of, Jamie will bring you one down. <laughs> I've got two. I picked up the um. I picked up that fucking uh, high speed precision one. Oh man, you prick! They're fucking unreal. Yeah. Those things. Yeah. Well, it cost me enough. Yeah, but anyway. it doesn't matter. They're fucking unreal. Yeah, and it won't be a three hundred dollar drill press, murder. It'll be fifty years old and still cost you a thousand bucks. But don't worry. No, it'll be. Let's if move if on. you go through McVicker, it'll be three hundred bucks. You'll love it. Yeah, well, yeah, true story. <laughs> he does, doesn't he? Okay, Dino Handsaker says Mert looks like Uncle Fester tonight and there's no arguments from anyone. Put a light bulb in your mouth, Mert. Let's have a look. <laughs> That's fucking funny. Did you, gr did you grow up with Uncle Fester? I don't know. Is that a, does that, they have Uncle Fester in Turkey? Nope. He's shaking his head at me. I think I'm going to change the subject now. Yeah, moving all right. So there we go. Moving right along. So, yeah. Yeah, so I've got myself a full page in the Blade magazine. Yeah, we Hasht kind of saw that. Hashtag humble brag. Yeah. Hashtag humble brag. Hashtag whore bag. I'm fair on stage. Page whore. Not bad for a good... Not bad, not bad. I made two knives that year and only one of them made it in, so I was a little bit disappointed, but, you know... It's always next okay, year. Though. Is it? <laughs> Is it? Is it the next year? <laughs> anyway, if you get the, the latest edition of Blade Magazine, just flick right back to the last page. Probably nobody looks there, and you'll see me. No one goes back to the last page. Yeah. Uh, you kind of do if you pick the magazine up thinking the back's the front. Yeah. But, you know, you'd have to be in the dark or something, but anyway. Ju Julianne had a... Uh... Good point on her comment there, Mert, saying Heron Forbes tax time sales. Yeah, um, I was thinking about it. Look at that picture today. I, sub I subscribe to Heron Forbes emails, and those dudes, they don't mind pumping stuff out during June, I can tell you that much. Too many temptations. Yeah. I've been looking at things. I've been thinking about Actually, similar things, like with all these little sales on around the place now, like looking at it going, because I hate paying tax, so I want to spend a bit more of the business money not that I've got a lot, but I want to spend a bit more of the business money and I'm almost at capacity for space at the moment. I don't want to end up having to fucking move shit out and back and all the rest of it. So I've been sort of looking at potential things to upgrade or potential things to buy, but I think I might just have to put in the final order at Gamaco and get some steel and shit. That'll do me. 
I'm thinking about getting a small mill actually. The some of the small mills they sell. Yeah. If you, I've got the HM30. Yeah. And they've 30 got or the 13? 30, 30. Yep. And then there's the HM32, which is their smallest one on their page. And that with a DRO will be plenty enough for knife making related fucking stuff. That's for sure. Sean McIntyre has, I think he's got the HM30 as well. We were talking at the symposium and yeah, it does a decent enough job. If you got the space and you got the coin, go bigger. Space, coin. Uh... Yeah, I know. Same as me. <laughs> I've got a Chinese mill from 1980s, mid 80s, yeah. and it's from China, so it's it's rough as a it's rough as a box of rocks. But um, for knife making, that it little still mill works, of yours, and it's much more. Yeah, that little mill of yours is fantastic, mate. It's so small. But when we were up doing the barrel knife stuff, it just it, it does what you need to do. And that, it does what I want. That's the same yeah. thing with the yeah. HM30. The only thing with it, it's it's one of the um, round columns, not the dovetail columns. So if you if same yeah, as mine, if your yeah. range isn't lower the height of it, it can throw things out a bit, which is a bit of a pain in the ass. But you know, it does it does enough for what we do. So this is yeah, there's a little trick with them you can do, but. Yeah, keep going, mate. So is is this a, just a mill or is it a mill and drill combo? Well, technically it's a mill-drill combo. Yeah, they're not – yeah, what is the difference? I mean, you can drill in a mill every day of the week. But, oh, it's a drill combo because it's got a quill. You can – yeah, you can, you've yeah, got a fast mean. feed. Because if, if that's a yeah. mill and drill combo, I just fucking get that. Instead of getting another 300, 400 bucks of drill press and just – just fucking put a little bit more money. When I say a little bit, I know it's a lot more, like a few yeah. times more, but at least it covers it. And the HM32 is about eighteen hundred bucks, and then a DRO is another five hundred. And I'd recommend getting the DRO on it. And yeah, you know, it's a solid enough machine. Get at about fifteen hundred bucks for yeah, tooling. How heavy is it though? It's pretty heavy. Fucking heavy. Yeah, it's heavy. Yeah, that fucking. You're not carrying I'll it I'll lend you my engine crane. <laughs> you need yeah. to have a bloody hammer and you need to... get the boys up there to put it in for you. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, essentially, in knife-making senses, gear for a mill, once you get the mill, all you need is to get a good vice and some... Yeah, clamp set? No, I don't even use my clamp set because I'm, I'm only doing... Don't? No, mm -hmm. I'm only doing guards and stuff. Yeah, right. So right. for a knife-maker set up... Yeah, fair enough. A, a good vice. Um, yeah, Sean, I forget the brand Sean said at the symposium. He, he named off a, a good vice to get and had a look at them and they were like 2000 bucks for the yeah, vice. Yeah, you, you showed me like, that. Oh, holy crap. <laughs> a vice and a set of, a vice, a good vice and a set of parallels is the first thing you're going to yeah, need. Yeah, dial indicator. And then, yeah, dial indicator, dial indicator at some point in time. I got plenty of parallels, so let me know when you need yeah. them. Kev, you no, showed that, me during the class of the Kyle Royer. Remember, yeah, you showed me during right. the class, and in the middle of the class, I was like, fuck! Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it cost as much as the HM32 with the DRO. Yes. <laughs> You're like, oh, holy shit. I remember, I remember that moment. Everybody was like, what the fuck? 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we did get a few looks. We normally do, but I think we got a few extra looks at that point in time. It was kind of funny. Um, mm. And then, yeah, a couple of end mills. Yeah, and the end mills. End mills for what we're... One of those timber block face cutters oh, that Gamaco yeah. sells. Yeah, what are yours? Yeah. 52 mil, two inch? Yeah, the big ones. Yeah, yeah. They're carby tool. Yeah, oh, yeah, carby tool. Yeah, that's what I've got. They're fucking unreal. Yeah. I didn't realise you guys stocked They're those. fucking unreal. Yeah, we stock them. Yeah, oh, well. Yeah, I had to buy 20 of them or something, yeah. so buy one. Cause, cause oh, man, anyone... But, mate, those things, yeah. they finish a block like a mirror. You don't need to sand it. Yeah. They finish the block like a mirror. I was going to say, anyone that's... Like, they the... finish on... Yep, yeah, squaring your blocks up. If you stabilise your blocks and you want to offload a few every now and then, just run that fucking tool over them, square everything up. Fucking, it's a dream. Yeah, Jamie's used it. He's just commented. Check this one out. Yeah. That's it. Mine, Sums it I might up. have to cut no, that thing... one off you because mine's got two broken teeth on it. It's as old as fucking... Oh, it's yeah. as old as the hills. It's fucking battle-scarred all over the joint. Hit me up. To... Yeah. Hit me up tomorrow. I'll do your deal. Yeah, right. Yeah, there's... Twice, twice the price honestly, of a regular there's... person. <laughs> hit Riemann. I'll get a Kev, Riemann. Kev Free special. Riemann. <laughs> I heard you wanted to spend business money, oh, yeah, mate. I'm yeah, here for you. I'm yes, here for you. I'll do you a deal today. <laughs> and for twenty nine so, ninety nine, um, you can get two of these. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And a set of steak knives. Yeah, so those things, mate, it, they use them on sheets of MDF, right? So they get a CNC router. You put your job down on the MDF. You cut your job out, and it scores. You, you cut through the job. And it scores the MDF. These are the tool that they run over the MDF to make it look like MDF again. Yeah. And they're just fucking unreal. You, you'll never go back to any other way of treating blocks. No, they're... Squaring up. They're fucking awesome. So, yeah, they're cool. Um, what else have I been up to? Fucking heaps, mate. But nothing really knife-making related, you, except you I did finish one. I'll say that again. Somebody came to see you. Who came to see me this week? Oh, Mert came. We had lunch. Yeah. Mert came to see me. Where was the fucking phone call to say you were going to Sydney? Because I would have fucking driven up to Sydney. I just got the, I got the, I got the, I'll be there in 20 minutes <laughs> phone call. I said, oh, we'll do lunch. Yeah, right, eh? <laughs> yeah. Let's coordinate this better next time, you motherfuckers. <laughs> Who's this? We don't know who this Facebook user is, but milling machines are worse than boats. Never-ending money pit. Yeah, not really. Don't don't learn how to use it properly. Just mill fucking guards, and you're fucking you're laughing. All you need is three different size mill bits, and then you're fucking laughing. They need to buy anything. I'm using mine. I've I've changed up my whole process since Kyle Royer came down, and uh, since spending some time with Sean, and I'm using mine even more now for the barrel knives. So where I was doing stuff by file before. Yep. I'm getting a better result on the mill, so, yeah. Oh, I guess I need to do that little bit more time with someone like Sean or even yourself after you've learned because even the time with Sean on his talk and then Yui on his talk at the symposium, fucking game changer in, you know, yeah. when you get taught by someone that's self-taught and all you do is learn the bad shit that you shouldn't fucking do because they've done it that way? That's what I was doing. And I even said to Sean... I slowed down my whole fucking processes to try and get a better result. And Sean was like, well, all you're doing then is getting a bad job slowly. And it's like, yeah, you're fucking right. <laughs> so 
learning. I know since, like I said, listening to Sean and Yui, my now my processes are slightly different because I learned a couple of things, strangely enough. Um, and it's mildly slower than what I was doing, but much more accurate. Like I'm coming off the mill now with fuck all work to do on a fit. They, they're so fucking close to that fucking perfect fit and not too far from now when I actually get my head around it that little bit more. Be like Sean and those guys, off the bloody mill, onto the knife, done. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So the other big thing that's coming up, um, Knife Makers Guild, AGM. Yes. There's a test meeting this Saturday, and then the AGM's the, me- the Saturday after. It'll be done by uh, Zoom meeting. Yeah. So that's going to be a big deal. If anyone's a member or a probie, make sure you j- you come along and have your say. And there's a lot of a lot of big things happening in the guild, uh, new constitution, and uh, some proposals to to just really give it a, a bit of oomph. Um, basically, membership fees are going up, but they're going to use the membership fees to pay an administrator uh, in a similar way to what the Knife Art Association does, but to offer better member services and to um, uh, you know coordinate their shows and hammer-ins and have a lot more hammer-ins and shows. So being a member of the Guild will be awesome, uh, more awesome than ever, once they're having those hands-on hammer-ins in every state, like Knife Camp, but that only runs once a year because it's run by volunteers. But when you've got somebody on the payroll, you can run one a month and, you know, it'll be really something something special. So, yeah. you know, in every state, you could have something happening once a month. So, yeah, so keep an eye out. The Guild's about to go huge. Kind of long overdue in my view. The AGM's always held at the evening after the Saturday of the Melbourne show, but as the Melbourne show was shut due to COVID, then uh, they've moved the moved it to a Zoom meeting. So if you're a member of the Guild, make sure you're a member of the Secret Secret Society, <laughs> the Secret Guild Group. It's not an open Guild Group. It's a Secret Guild Group that only Guild members are members of, and that group um, is where the discussion's happening. So just jump on there and, yeah... Have we would have received an email from Bruce Barnett um, regarding the AGM. If you didn't, jump on and send him an email and he'll have all the details for you. I'm running class. Uh, this Saturday. The, so if, if you're a member of the Guild, the link, is, um, the link is on the Guild members group. And if you're not a member, if you're a member of the Guild, but you're not a member of the Guild members group, you need to contact me. Um, and I will figure it all out for you and get you in. So, yeah, just do that. That'll be fine. I'm currently the treasurer, but I'll sort it out. Sounds good. So, we've got a fucking theme going here, mate, with your fucking uh, appearance this evening. He's, look at him. He's getting sad. He's trying to stay warm. He's just trying to stay fucking warm, and everyone's picking on him. Matt Snape says he looks like what would happen if Uncle Fester fucked a koala. Bunch of cabbages. <laughs> yep, that's right. Critical fucking motherfuckers. That's what you are. Yeah. <laughs> you don't like my outfit? I'm gonna start a fucking GoFundMe page. You can you can donate so I can get a fucking better shed. It's problem solved. We'll get your bikini. Oh, I oh, better shed. Yeah, that's right. Sorry. Yeah. In summer, he'll be complaining it's too hot. And then he'll want his mankini. My name is Borat. Anthony Kittle says the Guild's membership fee rise is reasonable. I think it's reasonable too, Anthony, if you get something for it. And that's why 
uh, one of the pro- the other proposal for to be voted on is to put in a paid employee. So that's pretty huge. It's pretty huge if they do it. Random question. I just bought a horizontal bandsaw today. Do you guys... This is from Ash Edwards, sorry. Random question. I've just bought a horizontal bandsaw today. Do you guys anneal yes. your forged steel before cutting and restacking? I don't want to fry a new blade, so any advice is appreciated. Cheers, Ash. Now, Ash, I sell blades, so I'm going to say no, because I'll <laughs> see you another blade. <laughs> I'm a poor full-time knife Actually, maker, so I'm going to say yes. Harden them before. Harden yeah. them. <laughs> quench it in K-quench and then use your fucking blade. <laughs> Job done. Yes, Ash. Yes, mate. Don't go anywhere near a bandsaw. Yeah, no, definitely anneal that motherfucker. Anneal it. Yes. Yeah, and, and if you want to if you want to go through it quicker, um, use a cutting disc and use a, use a hot saw. You'll lose more material, but you can cut it. Time is money. Yeah, no. I got a hot saw. But if, so. if you're doing a mosaic Damascus, if you're trying to cut tiles and shit, then you need your band. That's or... true, but then, but if you're doing a mosaic Damascus, that makes sense to anneal it, right? If 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 you're just cutting it to restack it to do one cut, you're not going to go and anneal it for a few hours to do the cut. Just chuck it. Sean McIntyre, fuck. Sean McIntyre's got a drop saw which runs like a. Like an eight-inch, one-mil cutting disc. It's fucking awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I'd run yeah. a... And it's, it's... I think mine's close to three-mil, so I, I lose a little bit, but I'm not fucking doing mosaic. Yeah. This thing's one of those super-thin, one-mil cutting discs mounted onto a drop saw. It's all bodgy as fuck, like stand back, but... <laughs> no, mate, no shit. <laughs> it's awesome. How come, his, how come his disc is too small, like so small? While me and Kev's are like twelve inch, how come he got the eight inch one? We're overcompensating. Did he say what I thought he said? Yeah. He said, "How comes Sean's <sighs> dick is so small?" Disc. Oh, sorry. Oh, fuck. is out a little bit. Sorry, dude. <laughs> <laughs> nah. Did you just call me Feels a, a disc? Fucking head? Random. Did you just call me a disc head? Yes, you're a disc head. <laughs> <laughs> Thin curved blades. That's what we're after. Oof. So yeah, anneal, anneal it, mate. Last, last thing you want to do, yeah, flatten her out, stick her in, anneal it, sit it aside, let it cool down, all the rest of it. Um, you, you'll save yourself fucking plenty of grief doing it. So, all right, cool beans. So let's get on to the subject of the night, eh? Let's talk about forges. Yeah, we're going to talk about forges. Forges. So guys. Where do you get your Coke from? Shops. I buy Coke Zero. No sugar. Whatever it is. Sugar-free oh. Coke. Mert, Mert's like, I don't get mine from the shops. I get it from a dealer. <laughs> yeah, funny with that, one suburb over from me in the last week or so, they just had this massive fucking cocaine bust. <laughs> so I was like, well, there you go. Could have been a new Coke supplier, but... <laughs> Got my it's, work funny, done it's funny, we all called Corin Escobar, and now he's yeah, playing with the coke jokes. Yeah, look at him. Yeah, uh, It's how funny how things go in circles, Mert. Mm. All right, mm. so Forges. Yes, go for it, Kev. Yeah, Forges. A few weeks ago, now we had uh, Steve Schwarzer, and he was talking about the new Forge design that he'd done, the double door kind of bug looking thing half door open and whatnot with the with the ribbon burner and we were having a bit of a chat about that obviously online with steve and then following that we were having our own discussions about 
some forge or forging things. Um, and, and one of them was with me was quite a simple thing. I was looking at upgrading my current forge with a couple of your new economy burners. Um, and when you were down at my place on the last podcast, we, we, you had a quick look and we're like, yeah, you can do that. Um, the funny thing is I had a quick look at it and realized that I've got a very old Venturi system in the single burner. It's handmade, homemade, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it was one of the ones from Thabal Ford from years ago. Uh, I've yep. had that for about eight or nine years now. But it was kind of funny because I turned it around and had a look at the little hole and the thing was covered over in dust and grime and shit like that. So I fucking just got the drill out, drilled a one millimetre hole in there, chucked it in, turned it on, and I was pretty close to forge welding temp within about five minutes. But I had the thing fucking cranked. There was a big fucking flame coming out the front. But it was funny because the last lot of Damascus that I did, fucking just took forever to get to Tampa. I was just sitting there going, man, this is ridiculous. I'm, you know, you know what they say with Damascus. When you think it's hot enough, it's not. Keep sitting there. So I was soaking that Damascus for like 20 minutes before I did my initial welds. The last bar of Damascus I made the other day, uh, yeah, within 15 minutes of turning on, I was welding and drawing that sucker out, which was good fun. But I'm just, like I said, using the... I've got a big-ass forge that a mate of mine made for me with a single Venturi burner on it. And um, I saw our old mate Les Batchelor. Shout-out to Les. He was on one of the groups online. He's, he seems to be making a few nice forges by the look of it, so I've put my hand up for a double burner one of his. And I've got to talk to you about the burners and stuff, but that's pretty, pretty straightforward. So, yeah. That, that's that's my sort of forging thing. I was very happy. Um, went through a cylinder of gas in fucking no time because now it actually feeds in and pumps up and gets up to temp pretty well. I can tell you exactly what it does. What pressure are you running at? Uh, well, I don't know if my gauge is 100% accurate, but 20 PSI on my gauge. Now that's At 20 PSI, you're consuming about 80 megajoules an hour. Uh, 80 mega at one millimeter orifice. If I'm looking across the table right, which is about give or take one and a half kilograms of gas an hour. Yeah, okay. No, so I didn't have a, just just a I bit over. A full, I didn't have a full cylinder and went through. Yeah, about four hours. It was that's about right halfway through. Yeah, sweet. So I get about eight hours at full fucking churn, which is a big enough day for my old fucking body. That's for sure. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, fuck you. I, I got a couple of uh, private messages from Mert, which were quite intriguing. And, no doubt you did. Uh, well, they, these were a little hotter than the, than the usual ones I get from Mert. Is that, <laughs> is that the one that I said, like, you get to see it once and disappears, or the one? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I still haven't worked out the app that records those so that I can keep playing them back. <laughs> but I've got a pretty active imagination, man. I only need to see it once. But no, what's your deal with um, Forges, Mert? You've been very busy. Okay, so I have three gas forges in my shop. My first forge was built by a friend of mine, Chad Smith. Uh, he goes under name by Tristone Blades and talented motherfucker. If you guys don't know him, check him out. And he built me a forge long time ago. It's uh, double burners and it's it's long, a lot longer than I, I need it now, but it can get the welding temperatures in like four or five minutes and the internal volume is not as big it's long 
And that's my goal to forge for all my forging in Damascus and all that. But what I've done was the last week, I built myself a drum forge. So this drum forge is based off the plans of Don, Don Fogg, I think. So Yeah, yeah, Don yeah, Fogg. Don, They've been around forever. Keith, Keith runs one. Yeah. So Sean McIntyre and Will Morrison use the same kind of uh, drum forge for their heat treatment, as far as I know. And it's just a 44-gallon drum that I covered the inside with the two-thick, two-inch thick, thick uh, K-wall, and I covered inside with the set night as well. So the, the, the base is covered with the K-wall, the lid is covered, and there's a tiny hole, and it, it got in temper. It got, it got the 835 degrees in four minutes. I, I, I managed to light up. Lighting up was a fucking bitch. It was really hard to get it lit, but once it's lit, and I was able to control the heat quite a good, and I sent the videos to Kev. While it was at 835, I could rest my hand outside of the drum forge easily without even feeling hot or burning myself. So that two-inch thick uh, thing paid off, and my last forge is a... That's actually my crucible furnace. So that's... I'm using the same... Uh, same burners that I got from Gameco. So this one has the smallest internal dimension and the top is pretty much, there's only a tiny bit of hole and I'm going to run it on a higher temp, but it's covered with the higher temperature uh, ISO wall. That's the one that's ready for 1400 degrees. So I'm probably going to have to replace that lot often than the other ones because I'll be running on such a high temperature. But yeah, I got three uh, gas forges in my shop. Yeah, no, awesome, awesome. And that's been a busy period of time making it. Um, Adam Fromholz, Jackson Rummel and them all use a vertical forge down at Thower as well for heat treating, and they're getting excellent results. So I've not, I've, I've heard it and I've seen them do it, but I've not tried one myself. I don't do anything longer than fucking this long, so I don't worry me yeah. anyway. Yeah, you know? the reason I made one was uh, I want to make swords. And yes, my paragon is not, uh, my paragon is nice, but. If you I want to make an 80 centimeter, 80, 80 centimeter sword, that shit doesn't fit there. No, absolutely not. Yeah. So there's a few things we can talk about with forges, different types. So we've talked about vertical forges for heat treating. Vertical forges for Damascus making are pretty popular. Blowing burners yep. versus Venturi burners. What questions do people have regarding forges? Come on, Brett, you must have some questions. Well, Corn, I, I had a question actually um, because I had the same question when I was when I went to Gamaco the other day. I was asking to Ian. So, what's the difference if somebody is building themselves a forge? What's the difference between the economy burner and the the premium, the bigger one? What's the difference? Good question. What What should somebody look for? If, let's say I'm a I'm an average punt, average knife maker, uh, like a starter guy who's going to make like a once one knife a month, and I'm not going to make Damascus. Which one I should get? The economy burner has a, a heavily reduced venturi, being half inch, um, and to get it to run well, you need to run a small orifice at high pressure, which has a problem similar to what um, um, Schwartz had brought up last time. You know, you need the pressure to run it, and they're cheap. We can do them very cheap. The reason we can do them very cheap is because they come out of the same mold as the big burner, so we pay for the big burner. Venturis, and those come out as a sort of a byproduct, so they are cheaper. However, they're not they're not as stable. 
they can't be turned up from them. What what they supplied as is maximum. They do need to be run at higher pressures. The larger burner will will easily can you can easily turn that up to run. Let me just get some stats on this. I'll just put them up on the screen up in front of me. Just a minute. So, so Corey, let's have while a... you look for the stats, while you look for the stats, let me tell. I got the large burners, and with the large burners, when I'm trying to get my kill, when I get my force for Damascus, if I leave it on for both of the burners for on, in five or ten minutes, I can slowly start melting the steel inside my, like the, the yeah. lid of my forge will fucking start going soft and start drip. It can get yeah. that fucking hot if you really want to crank that shit up. Any of my burners will do that if they're tuned up and in the right forge. Um, so, yeah, you with the small burner, you're using about 800 grams of gas an hour. The pictures I put up on the Facebook group the other day was of the large burner running just under three kilograms of gas an hour. So quite a considerable amount more through that larger burner. You can turn it down, though. You can turn the large burner down. You can't turn the, the small one up. I personally, you know, for the extra, the extra cash for the large one, I just get the large one every time because once you've got the hose and regulator and you've got the burner, if you ever want to move it to a different forge, you can. You can get different nozzles. But that's the main difference. And the large burner can be run at very low pressures. You don't have the problems that Schwarzer was talking about. You, you probably would at altitudes, but we don't have those altitudes in Australia that, well, we do, but yeah. fuck all people live there. It doesn't affect 95, 99% of the population. Whereas in America, where the, you know people living at Colorado or something are going to have problems, we don't have that sort of thing. So, because I'm, like I said, I'm looking at the moment of buying one of Les Bachelor's forges and on the group that he's selling them through, he had a fellow with two of the economy burners in, in his larger forge and he did a test and welding temp, no problem. Would you suggest maybe in that bigger one, just using one of your larger burners instead of two economy, or would you say go two larger burners and just dial them down? I'd go two larger burners. You can turn big burners down. You can't turn small burners yeah. up, you know, and, and sometimes you want to turn it up. You know? Yeah, that was gotta... actually a per that was a personal question for me because I'm in the pro process of negotiating with Les what I want to get out of this thing, and I want it to be my Damascus forge. So I want the thing to be fucking running, like primarily, you know, for that. So two larger burners, and and just do it. What do you reckon about when you link them together? So you've got the two joined, or do you reckon run two separate two separate regulators? Because when we're doing the uh, Kyle Royer course over at Tharwa, they had the burners running off individual gas cylinders. Yeah. That, that that Okay. Okay. Now let's explain what's happening inside a gas bottle. Inside your gas bottle, you've got liquid LP gas under pressure, guys. I'm going to try and keep this in simple terms, right? Yeah. So in, in your radiator in your car, you should all know that it actually is at over 100 degrees Celsius but the, the water in the radiator doesn't boil to steam. Why doesn't it boil to steam? We're keeping it under pressure. It does boil to steam if we do something to it. Remove the radiator cap. Remove the pressure and it flashes instantly to steam. Anyone done that? I have oh, yeah. big burns up the arms, right? <laughs> you only ever do it once. Right? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> LP gas is a liquid stored under pressure, which means when we remove, when we remove some of the pressure by opening the valve, some gas comes out the liquid in the bottle starts to boil. 
and its natural state is minus 42 degrees Celsius. So it boils at minus 42 degrees Celsius. Where water boils at 100, it's boiling at minus 42. We open up the valve, the pressure comes off, the cylinder starts to boil. If we take enough vapor off, the liquid in the bottle will start dropping in temperature and you'll see it start to sweat at first and then you'll see it ice up and you'll see where the liquid level is and eventually you'll drop to nothing. Uh, when you've got no gas coming out of that cylinder, you've got ice all around the bottom of it, we have um, propane at minus 42 degrees Celsius. It's good for nothing. So you tip a bucket of water over it or sit it in a bucket of water at room temperature and that will boil the product. Anything, sit it in anything. It doesn't have to be hot water. It just has to be over minus 42 degrees Celsius to boil the product. We call that the latent heat of vaporization, that the amount of heat that's required from the atmosphere to pull into the cylinder. Now, what is... It, go back to the radiator analogy. We have all those fins on a radiator to increase surface area to transfer heat, right? We're trying to transfer heat when we're opening a gas bottle. We've got to get heat from the atmosphere into the bottle. The more wetted surface area, so that is area where the liquid of the uh, the liquid LP gas is actually in contact with the steel. We ignore any part of the bottle that doesn't have contact with the liquid. The more area we've got, the more vapor that cylinder can produce. And the amount of vapor that a cylinder can produce is dependent on the, of the temperature of the day, the air, the air temperature around the cylinder. You stick it in a bucket of water, it's going to produce a lot more, of course, but the air temperature of the day. So by putting two cylinders in, we've doubled our surface area. So we're running, instead of running one bottle to do two forge burners, where one bottle would barely, would struggle to do one normally, we're running one bottle for each, and it's going to have twice the wetted surface area, and it's going to work better. Did that make any sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Perfect sense. All right. So what was the question again? Simple, simple question with a mildly complicated answer, but you went through exactly but what we you need to know that because that's why your bottle sweats up that's why okay. we do multiple bottle kits so you can manifold bottles together the most important thing about forges is you all build your own forges fine the laws in most states require you to get approval for that forge there are no standards that directly relate to a portable forge not connected to an installation there really is no standard that you can get it approved to. So most states will pull a standard up called AS3814, which is um, the commercial gas appliance standard, Com commercial and gas-fired appliances. Uh, commercial and industrial gas-fired appliances. That standard is a catch-all, and it's for anything like if you had a grain dryer that, that you need to run or you have a, you know, a bitumen tank burner that you want to run, that, that standard applies. It doesn't really apply to small portable forges. In fact, in the scope, it specifically excludes things that aren't connected to installations. But but they will try and apply it. It'll cost you thousands of dollars to, to get a forge approved to that standard. So if you're building a forge, the law is that's what you've got to do. I can't change it. That's the rules. There are some reasons that our forge burners are supplied the way we do with the large burner particularly having a very small orifice in it that you can make bigger but we do supply it small because in new south wales for example there's different legislation for running at high pressures in a workplace and if you can get away with that it's actually it, it actually was easier to run a forge it, you could do a risk-based assessment of the forge but that's kind of changed in recent times so we've kind of that's just a legacy of that but anyway, 
Uh, the question on the screen, guys, is from Matt Snape. Okay, what do you what do you think the ideal internal forge dimensions are for a new knife maker? Go for it, Kev. I know you got some feelings on this one. What do you want to make? That's that's one of the things. Are you going to make a small hunting knife? Is that what you're going to focus on? You're not going to make anything bigger. Don't than, say, say that, Kev. This you, you're taking them. Blade. You're taking them into that into that thing. They're all going to say, I'm going to make a sword. I need a four-burner forge. That's what's fucking going to happen. You need a four-burner forge that's three feet long, at least. No. Four. You, the, look, look, Four feet long. The, the, the forge that I ran, the initial forge that I bought and that I've run for, you know, years before I got the second forge, which is the bigger one, and I mainly only use that because I'm running classes with two or three people and I need more space for the knives to go in not necessarily the deeper space the one which i had i could forge a 23 centimeter blade maximum and and have it heat evenly it was a very small internal diameter with one inch ko wall and a fire brick base and the single venturi burner that i'm still using on my bigger one so it really does come down to what what are you going to make for a new knife maker? Do you want to just start with something, you know, conservative or realistic, make small knives that are good knives? Or do you want to get straight into chef knives where you might want something that's longer, like Mert would know? You're making 240, 260, 280 uh, millimeter blades. Think about what you want to make before you think about the forge that you're going to make. It's the same thing, it's get the tool for the job not make the tool and then worry about what you're going to do for the job. So if you're doing small stuff, smaller is better because it's going to heat up faster. You're going to be more efficient with what you're using. It's going to take up less physical space, uh, less gas, everything else like that. Um, but if you want to get into a variety of knives and make a whole bunch of stuff, then, you know, nine kilo gas bottles, not a bad thing, I reckon. No, Absolutely. Well, well, yeah, go, mate. Remember when you went to Everly? When you go to Everly, yes, they got those massive forges, but most of the jobs they still use the nine kilo forges, unless they're forging massive yeah. things. A lot of the stuff is done in the nine kilo forges. Yeah, it, it's kind of yeah. You can do an axe in a nine kilo forge. You can do a hammer. You can do a whole bunch of stuff that you know. But you're going to use more gas than like a, like the Thawa Little Pig, for example. The smaller forge is going to use less gas. It's going to save you in the long run. You're always going to want a small forge. No matter what you're doing, at some point, you're always going to want a small forge. So that should be the forge you build first. Don't worry about building a huge one. Get a small one. Learn how to use it. And then start talking about, you know, something a bit bigger. That's my two bobs anyway. With... Um what like obviously i think i saw some someone looking at in the questions there internal dimensions and stuff like that corin from your perspective as someone in the gas industry that's a bit of an expert on this stuff you know smaller is not always better but obviously you don't want to have this massive cavern of open space to burn where where does it come into play you know as a guesstimate or a rough thing of what sort of an ideal internal space that you're looking for you certainly can run the burners that we do in much bigger forges but you've got to close the doors down you need space in your forge for the flame 
to be properly developed, right? If your flame's not properly developed, the gases are going to hit the other wall of the forge and then scatter everywhere and not properly burn as evenly as they possibly could, if you like. I'm just looking for some images to put up to show people some different types of forges. So I'm just sorry if I look a bit distracted. But yeah, basically don't go making a massive forge to start with. There's no point. The bigger the forge, the more heat you've got to put in. The more heat you put in, the more gas you're going to use and the less satisfied you're going to be overall. Claire, yeah, mate. I, I got a I got a question that I was asked before by my uh, friends who were getting into knife making and blacksmithing. So, the question I was asked was, I want to make a forge, but instead of using care wool, I want to use fire bricks. Yeah, right. What's the pros? Let's talk about all the different types of insulation and get that out of the way. The first one is care wool, right? Now, KO wool has a really, really bad rap. Does it deserve that bad rap? I don't reckon it does. Uh, speaking to people that work actively in the in the industry, in this in the kiln insulation industry, those guys say, look, people just confuse it with asbestos and it goes nuts. It has been shown in massive concentrations to cause to be a carcinogen. There's no question about that. But then all of the refractories have. So don't think you're getting away with it you know, with different types of refractories. They're all pretty dangerous. But massive concentrations, I'm talking huge. So read the MSDS of the products and understand what they are, right? All the products. Firebricks, KO wool is very low thermal mass. Th very low thermal mass means you don't actually have to heat much of the product up. There's not much density and it's an excellent insulator. You get those heavy firebricks that are like a house brick. Those, those have a massive thermal mass. They take ages to heat up and they suck the heat out of the kiln as they draw the heat through the whole brick. There's no insulating properties. They're really, really, really good for hot facing. That is, if you have an area of your forge that is, needs to be robust, then you put the fire bricks as the hot face and you uh, uh, use insulating material behind it. So back to fiber. You've got blanket and you've got vacuum formed. Vacuum formed is that flat sheet. You guys might have seen it. It's sold as a sold as a sheet. Comes in everything yeah. from six mil to about uh, fifty mil, two inch. And you can make a forge with that. If you're going to make a rectangular forge, that stuff's really really good to use. It's very good and effective insulator. But anyway, people use bricks. There's basically two types of light fire brick, twenty three and twenty six. Doesn't really matter which one you use. Both of those fire bricks. Uh, light and you can cut them with a saw they're like a hebel brick but they're not hebel and those are pretty good insulators pretty good they're not as efficient as wool not even close you're losing probably 30 40 percent of your efficiency using a brick but you don't have the dust problem you don't have to coat it whether you think that's a problem or not i don't I don't worry about it. I just don't smack into the sides of my forge and I don't stand over it breathing out what comes in, what comes out of it. So I don't really worry about it. But people yeah. do and I understand that's your choice. There's heavy fire bricks, no good. That's just don't even go there. Light fire bricks are okay, but like I said, they're not as efficient. There's also another option which is castable, and that's the material that you get like a bag of cement. You can mix it up and you can cast. Typically they fall into the same category as heavy fire brick. Unless you've got a high proportion of beaded alumina, which is like little balls in it. And those balls provide cavities, insulating cavities. And again, you're going to get some insulating effect. And if you 
listen to Schwartzer the other week. If you go back and listen to that episode, he talks about the little balls in it. That's beaded alumina. I've got a full palette of that at Gamaco. Cole's the man to speak to. And if you want to get some of that and try it, <laughs> I we bought we bought a, like a cubic meter of it. So there's there's fucking heaps of it there. I've got fire clays and stuff. You can make up your own refractories for those that want to make particularly good for those that want to do crucible stuff like what Mert's talking about, where there's a high risk of smacking into the sides, which for wool isn't going to last too long if you if you do that, if you're rough with it. I'm sure it'll be fine, Mert, because you're a care man. You take good care of your tools and stuff. I'm sure yours will be fine. Don't get me wrong. Had to throw that in. Sorry. Hi. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> Fuck you, Corin. Yeah, right. Um, so... So yeah, they're they're basically your different types of uh, of refractories. What what do I use? I just use wool, and I, I like domed forges, and I'll cover that in just a minute as well. So, so yeah, Corin, would you say it will make most sense to have it the bottom of the forge to be like a cast or maybe like a fire brick, and the rest with the with the fiber? Yeah, that that I you know you've all seen how I make a forge. There's videos past makes. I've got one. That's how I make a forge. I, I know, but I know, but for the people that who haven't seen, because once people start getting more advanced with their forging, they want to start making Damascus. And if their entire forge is covered in the cable and they put the, they cover it with the flux and they put it back in the forge, and all of a sudden their cable is like melting like a cotton candy. It does. And if yeah. you go and look at the forges at, uh, at Everly, someone brought that up a minute ago. If you go and have a look at the forges at Everly, you'll see some. Some, they're terrible. Um, yeah, look, uh, flux is bad for forges. It's bad for wool. It's bad for beaded alumina. It's bad for bricks. It's not as bad. Uh, heavy fire bricks aren't going to be as affected. They, it will eat everything. It will eat, eventually eat everything. But Guarantee you. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. But but wool is, is like cotton candy. It'll go, it'll go really, really quick. So what I do is I put castable in and I run it up the sides a bit. And do you know what I do when it's full of flux and shit and it's starting to eat out? I chuck it out and make another one because it takes about two hours to make a forge when you get a bit of a hang of it and you're not worried about how pretty it looks. And that's just what I do. I'll give it to a beginner and they can have it. A box of wool will make about four to five forges. I think you can push it to about six forges if you if you want. A box of wool will do that. A box of wool maybe going to cost you 130 140 bucks depending on where you buy it. What the fuck are we worried about? Like... It's the cheapest, cheaper than belts when you work seven, it out. Seven point something metres at 60 centimetres wide for the 25 mil thick stuff yeah, is what for, you get in the For box. the 25, yeah. And in it's Which three, is a fucking lot. It's 3.6 metres of 50 mil. And it's just it's yeah. just a fucking lot, exactly. And I, I use the 50 mil. I use the 25, but um, I ended up uh, collapsing my... Um, collapsing it and, uh, yeah basically fucking it up and i don't use that anymore i just use the 50 so i'm gonna get some just gonna get some photos um over to my outlook and i'm gonna load them up and do a bit of a shared screen to show some differences in forges somebody the next question is what's the preferred burner angle and i'll just ask that we come back to that one what else have we got there well Cor, uh, before we go <laughs> that, you said about covering the covering the blanket what do you cover with uh, I don't, what's the risk I, of not covering it? I, I spray mine with rigid eyes and I don't worry at all. That's it. That's what 
the people in the industry that I've spoken to said, just don't even fucking worry about it. You'll be fine. And and I trust those people. I'm not I'm not giving you advice here. I'm telling you what I do. Um, but I yep. do sell a product which is really really expensive, but really really good called Furnace Coat. It's a para, It's um, equivalent to the ITC 100 that people talk about. That product's oh, really yeah. good. I'm, I'm out of stock at the moment. I've got another shipment of that coming. We've got Sat Night, which is, again, a furnace coat, and we've got Kiln Wash, which is a, a, another furnace wash. We've got at least three options you can paint the inside of your kiln with. The Sat Night's probably the the cheapest and easiest one to use for most people. There's a lot of talk yeah, about it reflecting forge. more heat and stuff. It doesn't reflect <clears throat> any heat. That's all fucking bullshit. I reckon you get better catalytic, catalytic combustion with bare wool. But anyway, that's just me and I, you know, my what I've seen. Mine is my my current one is or my forge, my only forge really, is one inch layer of the KO wall, and then I that's full full wrapped all the way around. So it's a barrel forge, a cylinder, <coughs> satanite coating on the sides, and then the K twenty six fire bricks down the bottom, and I basically just shape the bottom. Oh, and between the KO wool and my fire bricks, I have the clay kitty litter just because it was there. Oh, yeah. Fair enough. It's easier. It's easier. What I found is it's easier once that fucking flux starts to burn through those bricks, it's easier to pull it out as a hole and not tear all your KO wool out if you've got a bit of that kitty litter. That's a bloody good idea. Litter and then that comes out. Yeah, so you just have that. You could use. Um, uh... That uh, the perlite shit. What do you get? That um, perlite stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that they, they, they use for. I've got a bag of it down there that you put. That you put your fucking blades in when you let them cool slowly. That stuff. Yeah. The kid. Don't do that. No, no, but you know the stuff. You know the stuff. You fucking cabbage. What? There's a lot of people out there that are going to know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vermiculite. That's the shit. That's the shit. Yes, yes, yes. That's the shit. All right, I'm, yeah. I'm ready to go. But the kitty, the clay, the clay kitty litter was like a 20, 20 kilogram bag was fucking next to nothing. And like I said, it's it just it's a small layer on the bottom. And if you get to the state where your flux is, if you're doing that much Damascus and stuff, and your flux is burning through your bricks reasonably quick. You need to then start looking at your gas mixtures probably and use less flux. Or if you're doing it over a long period of time, like I said, the benefit for me is I just go down to my local pottery supplies place. They stock K26 bricks as I buy half a dozen of those, come home, sprinkle a bit of the kitty litter down, shape my bricks, put them in there, and I've got a flat, brand-new flat surface. Yeah, yeah. KO wool's, uh, the KO wool's the same thing. I have two to three students every time here, two classes a minimum a month. And people just smash that shit in there because you tell them, put it over this side, it's a bit hotter with my forges. And and don't, try not to stick it into the sides. And I think that's an invitation to stick it into the sides and back. And I just go through every yeah. now and then, mix up a tub of Satanite, paint it on there, let it dry and go for it. You, you can move on with if it. If you need to really do it, pull a bit of wool off, stick it in there and patch it like a fucking plaster, yeah. fixing a plaster hole. Don't get precious about you your forge. Well. It's, it's going to no. get fucked. But don't fuck it. But yeah. but just accept that and 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 just be ready to reline it a couple of years down the track. It's a cons- it's a consumable. Exactly. Exactly. That's that's the yeah. word. That's yeah. the word. It's consumable. You have to keep in mind. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's not you're not going to line it once and have it for fucking twenty years. Put it that way, and if you do, um, you're probably a very pedantic fucking anal sort of person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's really one way of putting it, isn't it? So, so Dan, you're making a, Dan, you're making a one better life a year. Yeah, well, there's not even forging it and still getting into magazines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Full page spread. Oh, oh, how many how many oh, knives how many knives did you make, mate? Huh? How many knives did you make this year? Let's let's just fucking make fun of Corin. Back at us. Not gonna fucking take it. I win, you lose, move on. Never gonna hear the end of this, boys. Yeah. Okay. No, no, unfortunately, unfortunately, Mert and I have to make a fucking living out of this. And yeah, one yeah. barrel knife a yeah. year. That's that's eating a lot of fucking dirt. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're gonna have dirt soup. For dinner and mud pies for dessert. I I find it I find it personally pretty funny, but that's okay. I'm just gonna have yeah. the, like a dust from the timber and <laughs> make like a, a cake and oh, have a fucking oh, burger that's, patty. That's Ring dust for a burger. All right, plant based so, protein. <laughs> we got one here from Cunny Forge. All right, and um, it says, "What's your pre- preference for burner angle?" Now, there's heaps of ways of doing this. And mine's not the only way, and and for sure there's really good ways. All right, um, Kev will talk about the way I think his are installed. It, but I'm just going to talk about two ways of installing burners myself. The first is burners coming in from the top. I just stole this off the internet. This picture. Wow, that's amazing. It's shit. This I is an example. You. Of a shit forge. And this guy's got a video on how you can make this forge. Go for your lives. Go nuts, people. Look, all of your heat there, you've got no room under the burner for the flame to properly burn. So it's hitting the bottom and combusting. You've got a hot spot there that you cannot avoid. So if you're heat treating a blade, your blades are going to come out with a hot spot. And you're going to fuck them. And I don't care what you do. Burners coming in from the top in a square forge, just... Don't build square if, if you really must do it, but whatever. But burners coming in from the top, shit, shit. See that hot spot? Look, there it is. Bang. You will get that no matter what you do. I like to bring my forge burners in at an angle. What angle do I use? I don't give a fuck what angle it is. I look through the nozzle and I point it at the corner of the forge on the opposite side, giving me the longest possible <coughs> flame length within the forge, and I weld the fucker in done i don't know what the angle is i don't care it doesn't actually matter that's not what i'm trying to achieve let me show you the heat inside my forge when i'm heat treating let me just close this and i will bring up another picture with the wonders of modern technology shut up you're borderline professional don't don't you files to it was going so well well we were so (laughs) we were here we go Oh, did you, can you see that? This is no. like... Yes. Okay. So just there, just here, can you see my cursor? Yep. Yep. Just there is the spring that I'm heat treating for a barrel knife. That whole forge is at 830 degrees exactly. The whole forge, except for the part under the burner. So I've got about probably maybe 100 mil of area that I can run down that's not in direct flame contact, that's in reflected heat, that's exactly at the right temperature for heat treating. You'll notice the hot gases coming over the spring 
The wire here are giving it just a little bit more heat. You can see that in the color. But cameras don't lie when it comes to colors. Your eyes, when you pull a blade out, you'll go, oh, that looks even. And you'll look at a picture of it that someone videoed uh, while you were doing it. And you'll look at it and you'll see it's not even. In, in, a, in a video, you'll see. You, you guys seen that before? You know what I'm talking about? Yep. And you'll see that orange hotspot. So I'm going to just um, stop sharing the screen now. There we go. So... What angle? I don't care. doesn't worry me. Just come in and give yourself plenty of room for the burner to burn on one side and reflected heat on the other side. There's heaps of other ways to do it. Um, I know the guys at Thawa send them in at an angle so it goes to the back and then comes back to the front. Seems to work great. I don't, I don't make mine that way, but works for them. Ribbon burners, obviously, with ribbon burners, you've got an even heat along their length. And ribbon burners make a lot of sense. The way that people make ribbon burners don't make a lot of sense, but I won't, I won't harp on about burner design at the moment until I can make one that works. So <laughs> I've made one that works; it just doesn't last. So yeah, that's that's my burner angle thing. Kev, what do you want to add to that? Uh, not a lot because my burner, my single venture inside a pretty large forge, is angled about exactly what you were talking about. It's it angles uh, slightly to the back of the forge, but the flame comes in and it's pretty much burning where the bricks meet the, the wall. And then that, that circular motion of the gas burning and coming out the arse end. I'm the same as you. On my left-hand side of my forge, my process of how I heat treat my blades is I pop them into the left-hand side directly under the, where the burner is because that's the cooler part of my forge. And so I let I put my carbon steel blades in there. They heat up no. to, you know, whatever temperature. Under the direct contact with the flame. Yeah. And then I move yeah. them across a little bit so they're still not in direct contact with that flame. Like I said, they're getting that wash of that heat that comes over. And then that's where they sit and that's where they build up to 820, 830, which, or 780 or 90, whichever I'm doing for the different steels. And that's where I do it. If I put them right up over against that wall where that flame's hitting, that's, that's the hot spot on my forge. But that, again, is my forge. It's how I know I'd use it. It's probably not the most ideal thing, and that's why I talked to you about it when you were down. But it's the old thing of, you know, it ain't broke, don't fix it. It Just, just work with what you know. So my yeah. angle goes in slightly to the back. It's very subtle, and I've got it slightly higher than... It's coming down on a, it's not on a 45 degree angle by any means. And it's coming in and that flame's then circulating through the forge and I get a reasonable amount of like space, even heat in that forge. Yeah, yeah. So the main thing is to have somewhere where you can put your stock that has good reflected heat. Do you get that mm. swirl effect? That's okay, but you put stuff in there, it fucks the swirl. So don't worry too much yeah, about getting yeah, a swirl. Don't don't even worry about that. Really, the way that you've that the, they do the little pigs down at Thawa, I reckon it's pretty neat. I, I you know I've, I've got nothing against that at all. Um, but yeah, I just wouldn't put your burners in from the top, and I wouldn't go no. square. That's just me. So that answers that answers a couple of the other questions on there about square or round and angles of burners. Okay, uh, I found some pottery burners with actuators on them. Will they be good for heat treat forge, dude? Pottery burners have been around forever. They're designed to get 
huge kilns up to high temperatures? And the answer to this is very likely yes with modification. The way that they do that, they run very long flame patterns to get even heat and they run them across the bottom of the kiln so they, they won't have any stock there and then the heat will come up more evenly. The actuators that he mentions here are very likely thermocouples, what we call a flame failure or a flame safe flame cutoff valve. And basically they detect, because like our forges, you're going to know if it turns off. You're going to be standing next to it. Yeah. But a pottery kiln might go for uh, an eight-hour fire and you're not going to be next to it all the time. So they put these things on called thermocouples. We use thermocouples to measure temperature. But in this case, we're using the current generated from a thermocouple to hold an electromagnet open. If the flame goes out for any reason, the electromagnet drops out, shuts the gas off. They're just a safety thing. You probably don't need them on a forge. Again, it comes down to how you go about approving it. But they are a thing. Uh, again, send me some pictures, Corey, and we'll, we'll have a look, mate. I'll be able to give you some more specific advice. Nine kilogram forge kits say they are best in a round forge. What is best for a square forge? Did I cover that? No, basically just said... Yeah, don't, don't make a square forge. <laughs> yeah. I just wouldn't go there. Not for a knife forge. I wouldn't do it. You see the ones I'm forged in fire. You watch the blades come out, and they've fucking got huge hot spots on them, unless they're passing through yeah. like doing this shit. You don't want to be doing that. Who wants to be doing that? Fuck no. You don't want to be doing that. You know? That's, like, that's, that's just all shit good forge in, design. That's all good if you're going to, when you first start, you're really keen and you're watching everything you do. You're going to get very fucking bored of and very frustrated with having to fucking be there poking your fucking knife in and out of that flame to get a heat treat. Like say with mine, I stick them across and they come up to 700 and something degrees, uniform even temperature, and then I move them, you know, 50 mil across to the right-hand side, and I know the zones in my forge, and they're going to get that refracted heat and bring them up to my quenching temp. And I can sit those other ones sitting there for fucking any time I like at 700 degrees. So I'll whack, if I'm heat treating five or six blades, Five or six blades go into that left-hand side. They all come up to the same temp, and then I move them across one at a time. I'll, and I'll watch that one heat up. It takes about another 45 seconds, maybe a minute or two, to, to get to temp. Out, quench. That's for my carbon steel blades. And and you don't want to be sitting there. So I make hammers as well, as you would have seen. Watch Carl Roy's videos. <laughs> oh, anyway. <fuck> off. <laughs> Hashtag one humble. Hammer, one well, hammer a year, and it gets into Kyle Royer's hands. Blah, blah, <laughs> fucking blah. <laughs> so when you're making hammers, it's really great to be able to put the billet directly under the burner and get the extra heat, get it up to temperature so you can get really hot to punch an eye or do something like that. So having having that direct fire as well is just its a bonus to me. I don't, in a general purpose forge, to me that's perfect. You've got... You've got best of both worlds. Sure, you can make different ones that are going to do different jobs better, but it's like anything. If you're going for that best of both worlds approach, then you're going to have to suffer some compromises. But anyway, there you go. Yeah. What else we got going on? Lots of things in there. I just accidentally hit down button. Man, there's a fucking lot of questions here. Holy fuck. Let's go a bit quicker. Yeah, that's a good one. I read that before. So that's... So before we went on air, you were t you talked about a particular thing just before our talk went live, and that was flashback arresters. Yeah, let's talk about let's talk about that. So this is a really great question here from Michael Robson. A gas leak can cause explosion in an area, but has a gas bottle ever exploded? Well, yeah, gas bottles have exploded. I've got a video at the moment of a tanker truck 
fucking exploding, doing about 70 kilometers an hour down a highway. Yes, it can happen. <laughs> but you need a very you need a very specific set of circumstances that the home user should never see. LP gas has very narrow limits of flammability. So between 2.6 and 9.6% gas to air, you have to have a very small amount of propane, a whole bunch of air, basically, let's say 5% gas to 95% air, and you have an explosive mixture that can burn. Inside a gas bottle, how much gas is there to air? There is no fucking air and there's shit tons of gas. You could actually run a high voltage spark inside a gas bottle and the product will not ignite. There is not air. Acetylene, different story, 2 to 98%. That stuff will explode with just a little bit of air, but propane won't. It's very, very safe in that regard. So if you ever get one of the big burners and you wind open the Venturi, you'll see that the flame lifts off. So what's this got to do with a gas bottle exploding? Gas won't burn back down a hose for the same reason. It's to do with flame speed as well, but without getting too technical, gas will not burn back down a hose, will not enter the gas bottle, flame will not enter the gas bottle, the gas bottle will not explode. Flashback arresters are a device that prevents flame going back down a hose. And there has been some mention uh, in Australia about flashback arresters being that we supply them on our regulators, the claim was once made, and that's bullshit. There's no need for a flashback arrestor on anything where you have straight propane. If you're using oxygen with it, so if you're mixing like on an oxy torch or a cutting torch, there is a chance that your oxygen could go back down the fuel line or your fuel could go down the oxygen line. Do you want a flashback arrestor in that case? Fuck yeah, right? And in fact, they're mandatory. But on any system where you've got only LP gas or natural gas even, you don't need a flashback arrestor. They're just not used. So... A gas bottle will not explode under normal operating conditions unless it's been overfilled. Has anyone ever put it? You guys ever put a can of baked beans in the fire when you go camping? <laughs> yes. Right? <laughs> you overfill a gas bottle with liquid all the way to the top. So when they're filling it by decanting and they're bleeding, so it's the only. Ours is the only country in the world where we stand in a cloud of gas at the service station in a cloud of gas, right? It's the stupidest fucking thing, but we do it in Australia. Everywhere else in the world thinks we're mad. <clears throat> they open that screw on the side of the bottle and the li liquid comes out eventually, that little white stream. If they keep going, more liquid goes in. We only fill to 80%. If they fill to 100% and you start to warm that cylinder up, you put it in the car and leave it in the sun, the liquid expands like a baked beans in a tin and we have a relief valve on the cylinder which will blow that liquid into your car and destroy you, kill you. We had a guy die on Cumberland Highway about five years ago uh, from that. Four cylinders in the back of a black car on a summer's day, lying down in the boots, worst possible case. But the cylinders didn't explode. The gas leaked into the, into the area and exploded. If that relief valve doesn't open or it fails, it's very rare, the gas cylinder in that instance can explode. Again, in a fire, it's possible for a gas cylinder to explode if the amount of heat coming in boils the gas faster, the liquid, faster than the relief valve can pass the vapor out. It's possible to get a blevy, weakening of the top of the cylinder, for direct flame impingement. There's a lot of ways, but it's nothing that's going to happen in any regular uh, circumstance that we're ever going to see. So gas leak can cause an explosion. Check all your joints with soapy water for leaks and make sure you're in a very well-ventilated place. Yep. So you've got more chance of getting in the shit 
when you go to the Bunnings to replace your gas cylinders on a hot summer's day and you've got your gas cylinders lying down in your car and you stop off to go in the shops afterwards to get whatever, that's more risk than having your gas cylinder explode if you drop a fucking hot blade on your hose. Lying a cylinder down is, in fact, the stupidest thing anyone can do, okay? Because basically you've got liquid in a bottle, right? They're filled to 80%. If your bottle's more than half full, when you lay it down, liquid will come out of the valve instead of vapor. That's a really fucking bad situation. <laughs> liquid expands 270 times as it, as it goes to atmosphere. So one, one liter of liquid goes to 270 liters of vapor, which can then mix with that's 5% of the air volume that you mix that up. Work out the sums, guys. You can explode a lot of things. There was a truck that exploded driving through a, 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 a crossing down in Victoria. The guy had three cylinders in the back that had been left open. That truck, mm. that truck exploded. That was a big mess. Killed the guy. Just keep your cylinders upright. Don't transport more than two. If at all possible, keep them in, in a well-ventilated area like the back of a um, thing. We can hear Corin click the mouse, I think. Yes, you yeah, can. Good for you, Tiger. Yes. Wait, till he types on the, wait till he types on the keyboard when he's angry. Oh, yeah. Oh, when I'm angry. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> this guy's got a Thawa little pig. He likes it. They are good forge. My Thawa forge is awesome. Uh, they're great for pizza ovens. Not sure what that was in refer to. Gigi is great for pizza rather than Gigi and Burl. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so this guy's using the K26 Firebricks around. A, that's Matt Snape with a 25mm heavy thick brace. Good for you. Yep, that'll be fine. Um, the heavy brick is much more resilient to flux, so it is good to use as a base. Um, Jamie is saying, yes, Cole has those balls, a beta alumina, which is really good to make castable. <laughs> He's getting tight with that fucking mouse clicking again. <laughs> Position of knives in the forge. I've heard and read not to have direct flame on the blade. Covered that. Yeah. But your flower forge, I made on my course there. I haven't got room. Don't put more than one knife in at a time. Just do one at a time. Heat yeah. treating is... Guys like Kev that do it every day have got their processes down. Until you get your processes down, just do one at a time. Yeah. If I have more than one knife, you, you should be able to do it in the flower forge. Um, the way Karim makes them is pretty tidy. Would you suggest covering the wool in satinite? We've covered that. Yes. My forge floor is 25mm heavy brick. Yep, that's good. Does KO will have a shelf life? No, it does no. not. It's uh, very much a going to be around forever product. Breakfast, breakfast cabbages. cabbages. So we got someone from the US. <laughs> I wouldn't... I I wouldn't mind a breakfast for <laughs> cabbage for breakfast, but I don't know if you get that. How okay, often, Brad? Here's, here's the answer from my point of view. How often do you all redo the inside of your forge? More often than I'd like, because I teach classes. And as I said earlier in this conversation, when you say to someone, "Oh, listen, try not to stick your, forge, your knife into the side of the forge because it's very fragile," that's basically saying to the person stick the knife in as fast and as hard as you can into the side of my forge as many times as you can possibly do it and watch all the shit come pouring out. So as a person that runs classes, I redo the lighting of my forge quite regularly, a few times a year at least. But when I'm 
my smaller forge that I use only for me, it's it's like five years since I've relined it. Probably needs it now, but it's about five years. So <clears throat> you shouldn't have to do it it's, often if you're careful. It's it's your fault, Kev. When you say turn out the yeah, door, I know. <laughs> all of a sudden that side of the forge looks like a pussy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's like and, when you oh, when you I got a knife that looks like dick. Ah! <laughs> when I was teaching my son how to do the basics of driving, you know, don't don't drive up the gutter when you go around the corner. And what do they do? They look at the gutter and drive up the gutter. <laughs> you know, if you point it out, they're going to go for it. If you if you don't mention it, they, most time they're okay. <clears throat> and don't if you drop some of your fire if you got a bit of broken fire brick falls out of your forge don't pick it up straight away <laughs> it's, it's fucking yeah they, <laughs> they're fucking hot yeah <laughs> you'll only do that once as well <laughs> all right so someone asked about the position of the um the next one position of the thermocouple that's actually a really really good question and it deserves a little bit of an answer do you guys want to talk about that one before sure. i go hellbent for leather you so if you want to do more than one thermocouple, that's fine. But usually where I would like to have it is where I know I don't have a hot spots and where I want to keep my blades, this is where I want to keep my thermocouple at. So, yeah, that that's a perfect, well, Corinne said, hold my beard. This is the fucking diagram. So exactly. <laughs> where, where your hot spot opposite of your hotspot yeah there you go i'm just going to shut up and watch the diagram yeah so i actually actually i do it a little bit different but it's it's only very minorly different now so you've got the flame impact area on this diagram which is depicted on the left hand side which is opposite to yours kev so please don't get confused no, no, I'm okay good. don't don't go back out in the forge and and wreck your blades i've got the digital thermometer and the thermo basically the thermocouple is going to come in inside the forge enough that it's going to be in that good even temperature and it's going to be very close to the blade because it's all well and good to read the screen of the thermocouple but if you're not comparing the color of the thermocouple tip to the color of your knife your knife could be any temperature all right you need to make sure that the color of the thermocouple and the th color of your blade is exactly the same otherwise they're not the same there's yeah. no point having one that makes sense does that picture help? That can be found on Australian Blade Forums, one of my posts on there. I think if you just search for Thermocouple uh, from 2012, there you go, eight years ago. Wow. Yeah. How's about that then? Fuck. Forums. Remember forums? <laughs> Sorry. <that> was... <laughs> yeah. Remember forums. <clears throat> 2008 for you. There we go. So I hope that answers that question and uh, I should have put it up. There it is there, from Corey Cunningham. I hope that was uh, useful. I hope you're still there, Corey, because on account of that was asked a long time ago. Okay, right. What's next? Always wondered if they would heat a pizza oven. You know, I do use a big version of a forge burner in pizza ovens. We use a two-inch one. It's basically twice as big. But, I mean, if you had a smaller pizza oven, they'll do that. They'll heat any fucking thing. I mean, that's what they do. They generate heat. And they're best in chambers, but they'll work outside of a chamber as well. Burn fucking Gigi. <laughs> can you put some RHS inside as a shield? Okay. Come on. Oh, this is a good one to talk about. 
there's a lot of people that do this, right? They'll put a piece of square tube in and then they'll put the blades in the square tube to protect the blade. And apparently that works for people and that's fine. I've never done it. I do it the way I do it and it's always worked for me. Have you guys ever tried it? No. <clears throat> yeah. I, I tried it with a really long blade. When I was trying to <clears throat> heat treat a sword and I tried it, but I think RHS as a shield, it'll work great if you have like a coke forge or something. But in a gas forge, it's not much different. I don't know, but one of the beautiful things about heat treating in a gas forge is that you're heat treating in combustion gases. Carbon dioxide, water, carbon monoxide, and those gases are all circulating around your product, and you've got very little oxygen, which means you get less scale, less decarburization, and it's a happy place. So having it inside a piece of steel pipe means that you're probably getting more air than you otherwise would. So decarb's possibly going to be more of an issue. I've always thought that, and that's why I've always thought better to have a forge that has an area where you can heat treat without, um, yeah, being in that. Forced air burners. Do you want me to talk about forced air burners? You want to talk about them? Who wants to talk uh, about them? Look, uh, my experience in using them was at Bill Burke's place when we used his big vertical forge with a forced air burner for Damascus, and that was that thing was fucking massive. And I think their their gas is not as good as ours or something, so heat-wise, got to be forcing that fucking shit in there. You know what? Don't know much about it technically, but it fucking looked cool and it worked, but I've never yep. done it here. They do work. They work very, very well. So let's talk about... I'm not sure... I'm just trying to find a find the data on this but anyway i won't worry about it. i'll just use general terms for every part of lp gas to burn completely you need to have x number of parts of air and from memory it's quite high it's like 20 parts or something i have to find the actual detail but it's quite a lot of air our forced air burner allows you to have excess air and excess gas so you can turn them up and down to get your burner at exactly the right ratio they'll work at any altitude because you've got you can just put more air in remember that air is not all oxygen right air is yeah. only 20 percent oxygen 21 so let's split hairs right <laughs> <laughs> oh come on arm wrestle over fuckers <laughs> so the nitrogen that's in the air, you have to heat that. That's going to detract from your flame temp. And that's why oxygen, if you get oxyacetylene, for example, or oxy air, which it does exist, um, you're going to get a much hotter flame with with uh, uh, oxyacetylene because you're not heating the nitrogen. You're not heating 80% of the gas that's coming through needs to be heated to the flame temp. So it'll bring the temperature down. In a forced air burner, you can adjust both very, very easily and you'll get a great result. They have a great rap in America where everybody is so focused on making burners out of plumbing fittings. They're not Venturis. They don't draw properly. They don't have proper, proper flame retention nozzles. There's just so much bullshit about burners on blacksmithing groups in America that's that's just propagated to the point where people have written books on the bullshit and it's become law, but it's just not right. Okay, with a forced air burner, you, they're very, very good. They're easy to easy to make. People say they use less gas. Okay, and and that's horseshit. 
if I burn one part propane to X number of parts air, right, I get X amount of heat if I completely combust it. It doesn't give a fuck how that propane and air is mixed together. If it came in through forced air or a venturi, you're going to get the same amount of heat. The way we meter the amount of gas in a venturi burner is with an orifice, a small hole. Depending on the, if we know the pressure, we know the product, we know the hole size, the product propane, we know the pressure, we know the hole size. We can, we can actually, we can actually look at a table and see exactly how much gas we're using because we know the pressure, we know the, the, and we know how much gas will go through that hole, and it's just law. So if I'm running 20 psi as you are, Kevin, I said that's using two kilograms an hour. Those guys with the forced air burners, they'll always come in and say, "Oh, they use less gas." I noticed that Schwarzer didn't. He's one of the smartest ones. He's one of the smarter ones. That if you're running at a fraction of half a psi, all right, through a hole this big, you're still putting the same amount of gas through, and it's not even that big. They use a one eighth hole or or whatever the fitting is that they've got in the airstream. It's actually quite a big hole. And so they don't actually use less gas. Ribbon burners will use slightly less gas because you've got the heat more evenly distributed over a longer area and you'll pick up a little bit of efficiency. But what is the meaning of efficiency? Well, really, if we just sum it up, it's heat in versus heat out. I want to put as little heat in as possible and not lose it. (coughs) Having an efficient burner is if, if you've got the right amount of air and the right amount of gas, if I made it, you made it, whoever is a forced air burner, if you've got the right amount of the air to the right amount of gas, it's going to be efficient. The burner's fine. The system is only efficient, though, if you keep it in. And that's why a forge door, proper forge insulation, closing any orifice to your forge that you're not using. If you're trying to cook something in an oven, try and do it with the door open and see how well you fare, right? Close the door. Oh, wow, it gets a lot hotter. It's even. It's great. Doors are great. Uh, don't make doors that can build up a combustible mix inside the chamber and explode. So all your doors should be able to, if the forge pops, which it can do, your doors need to be able to just move out of the way. That's pretty much it. Yep. Very good. Uh, did I cover the question? <clears throat> so, I think so what are my I thoughts? Think, I think you covered it pretty good. Yeah. Good. So Stan Stanley had a Stan Stanley had a good point when you're transporting your nine kilo gas bottles, eight and a half kilos, put them in a milk crate, stand them up in the back of your car. Safety first, people. I'll show you how how fucking hard it is to light liquid propane, actually. Just, um, I have a YouTube channel called Will It Burn where I work with the CSIRO and we burn shit. Uh, just a minute, I'll just pull that up. I'll probably be able to share the screen. I had a private question come in from someone asking about plaster of Paris as a um, forge line. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with that, Mert? Just uh, a bit of homemade refractory. You only need to say Mert only needs to say one word a night, and that was it. Mate, there's some guys out there that will sing the praises of homemade refractories until the cows come home, and and they're out there. They've even got podcasts, mate. But I'll tell you now, um, they don't. That's just bunkum. All right, well, I'm going to share my screen. Just a second. This is this is good. This is well, it's kind of good. I don't so know. So when you when you talk about the plaster of Paris, there was a YouTube channel. I watched the video. The guy was making a, a furnace using a 
he was making a he was making a furnace using a plaster of Paris. Yeah, that was a cool idea. And in the second video that he made after airing that video, he was saying, "Yeah, I realized plaster of Paris is only good for one or two use." And I made a I made a small small furnace that used used uh, plaster of Paris to do my um, brass uh, casting. It worked great. And what I realized was the second was the second I was done, I had to realign the whole fucking thing with uh, that thing again because plaster of Paris fucking crumbles. Yeah, uh, and people mix it with perlite and vermiculite, which all cannot handle the temperature of a forge. Forget no, it. Just fucking yeah, get just, the right thing for the job. Buy a box of wool. You can do eight forges. Get a little bit of wool, whatever you like. Buy our kits, right, which are all prepackaged and everything, and you can make a forge. They're easy. But don't fucking fuck around with shit. Well, you know, it's like Paris, making knives out of mild steel. Plaster of Paris is like ball peening stainless steel. Yeah, there you go. I said <laughs> <Before>. it. <laughs> All right. So in this video, which is um, on the Will It Burn channel on YouTube, on this video I'm, I'm playing, which is the full scale running at first run at 30% capacity of our bushfire simulator down at Mogo. This simulator is just, you'll hear us laughing all through the video because it, there's just something beautiful about a system that just takes, uh, at full capacity, takes two 190 kilograms, that's 420 pound cylinders of gas, and burns them every fucking minute. Just, right? This thing chews through gas. You guys, this is like a, a to run this test that I'm showing you now, probably cost them about $1,200 in gas. So if you think your forge bill is, it's a two minute test. Anyway. <laughs> So watch this burner at the back here, and you'll notice liquid coming out of these these burners here, and it's not lighting. Look at that. It's just not catching fire. You see that? Why yep. is that happening? Because the mixture there is wrong. It's just, it's not getting the right mixture, and it's just not igniting. And, it, and look how much fire is around it, but yet it never ignites through the whole test. See that? So it's quite a quite a fascinating product in terms of the what its usability and how it works. Uh, if you look at that channel, there's a great video of me cooking a steak uh, steak in a bushfire, which oh, I'm quite proud of. Even that's it. That was fucking hilarious. <laughs> Medium okay. to well done. <laughs> yeah, I had sugar I, up, yeah, was mate. A bit... Yeah, <laughs> bit, of, <laughs> bit of charcoal, mate. It's good for you. Makes you shit. <laughs> Mythbusters tested the propane question and the explosive ratio is very small indeed. Yes, it is. 2.4 to 9.6%. Jeremy Wheaton had a good point there about plaster of Paris. Uh, it Hell no, it makes hydrogen sulfide gas. Does it really? So, well, I didn't well know be that, forked. but apparently so. No, I didn't so know that's, that either. That's another reason not to fucking use it. You might as well make, if you want to do that, you might as well make a plaster of Paris lined forge and use um, what's the name galvanized steel <laughs> it's a fucking it won't last long with what you're doing but it'll be just fun don't, don't do it I, but I put gal in my forge but we won't talk about that because it no. just gets people rolled up well you and I okay. have, you and I have been involved in some fucking sketchy fucking processes at times in your workshop <laughs> staged but, or not <laughs> but I don't stand in my workshop with gal fumes all around me. No. I go outside, right? I burn the gal off and just let it fucking... Yeah. I've got a big vent. Blow it all out. 
blow it onto the public you're walkway behind. Risk. Anyway, I when think, screwing I think in your workshop, you're more at risk of being crushed by a sausage man falling off a fucking, oh, fucking anvil on a gantry yeah. oh, than you are of getting galvanized poisoning. Debate. So, yeah. My you're more at risk. <laughs> Until recently, you were more at risk of alcohol than you were of anything else. But oh, anyway, <laughs> I've, I've cut down, so I probably yeah, lost half my friends. We'll I see wonder if old Wrecking Ball is still online. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's on. It came up on my yes. TikTok no, feed. I mean, I I'm down to five percent. My phone. Oh, out. Out. All right, let's run through some quick ones because it is it is coming on eleven o'clock. Yeah, okay, no, when fine. screwing in gas fittings, here we go. When screwing in gas fittings, what's best? Uh, this is from a Facebook user who can't click the link at the top. When screwing in gas fittings, what's the best thread tape or liquid thread tape? Well, if it's a liquid, it's not thread tape by definition. But some of the products that are liquid are excellent. Tape is very good, but get the right tape. High density, HDPE, um, not HDPE, uh, Teflon. Yellow in Australia, yellow for gas. Okay, just get the right one. Uh, if you use the liquid which we do at work, which we assemble everything with. We use Loctite 577. There's other products, but Loctite 577 is a good balance of, of a sealing anaerobic sealant. It sets without air. They're, they're, it's a good one. What's best? Whatever you like. But whatever you use, don't get particles of it into the gas stream because that's going to cause you a, a world of problems. Nine kilogram bottle fits inside a milk crate and helps keep it upright. Yes, just make sure you take it out of the milk crate before filling by decanting, which everyone else in the world, I said, as I said, doesn't do, where we put the gas in and we stand in a cloud of vapor because you get static electricity, it doesn't earth, and you get sparks when you touch it. So don't do that. Uh, yeah, still here. Ordering one of our one of our last things we should leave on is a little thing from Jeremy Wheaton. And Jeremy, when I hear your name. I'm just drawn to say Will Wheaton. Television did bad things to me. Jeremy Wheaton. Um, humans are the most dangerous thing in the shop, and we fucking well are. Everything else is just there for us to fucking be dangerous with. So I have this great new thermocouple. It's an R-type, which is um, platinum and rubidium or something. It's really, really good. You can get it up to like 1,900 degrees. Yeah, it goes up to 1,900 degrees or something. Heaps. Yeah. Heaps more than we need. I, wow. I, actually, I, actually, I actually break it the first time I use it. It's, fucking, it's all <laughs> good. It's like 160 bucks. <laughs> but I fixed it. But I fixed it. That's it. That's just... Let's not get... I broke golf, the, the golf very long ceramic. You might have seen me say that it was expensive and fragile. Yeah, I figured out the fragile bit all by myself. Yeah. Right. Reading the subtitles and hearing that, who cares? Forced air burners are used for natural gas supply, less heat energy than propane. Yeah, yeah. In every cubic meter of propane, vapor, you've got 96 megajoules of heat. Uh, in every cubic meter of natural gas, you've only got 38. So roughly a third. Mert's going to correct me. <coughs> so, yes. Uh, but that reason that we use... 37.3 and thank you. The, the reason that the reason that natural gas it, we use a forced air burner on natural gas isn't that it's actually that it's very hard to get a natural gas supply that is of significant pressure enough to be able to run a venturi burner because we're using the energy in the gas to draw in the air and we need to have that pressure we can do it in natural gas but in the quantity that we want in a forge 
It's much more difficult. So blow and burners work better. <clears throat> With the right food groups and a big lighter, you can get natural gas producing a decent flame. So here we go. Yeah, fire. What have we got? First welding project was my 9kg forge. Mate, that's what I say to people. Go and buy a stick welder and make a forge because the... You're going to need to know how to weld at some point in your life. Just If you're going to get into blacksmithing and knife making, make it sooner rather than later. Righto. Mert's, Mert's probably down to like 2%. We should wind this up. Corin's busy clicking on his mouse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On that note. See you, Myrtle the turtle. On that note. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, everyone, for coming in and listening. We're sorry we missed you last week, but it was actually good to have a week off. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Well, it was good to do an informative an informative episode for a change as well. Yeah, right? I know. You know? You, you were almost professional. What do you think? Well, I don't have anything to drink, Mert. I'm sober as the day I was. Oh, I probably that's wasn't why sober that, that day. mouse and bringing up extra screens and everything else like that. I was like, shit. No way I have that kind of coordination normally. No. Nah. <laughs> Nah, that's anyway, good. that was a good, good. Well, good guys, thing. don't, don't, don't forget to rate and review us. Please give us some five stars and get us up higher in rankings. And yeah, yeah, share. that's really important. Yeah, because we're really sad that we've only got like twenty-two followers or whatever it is now. So yeah, yeah two stars. I yeah, was, yeah. I so. was like eighteen followers and three ratings. And... Oh, whatever it is. Hey, yeah. Julianne, thank you for sticking around, Matt. Good, yeah, thanks, good night, Julianne. mate. Thanks, thanks guys. Matt, see, mate, you, uh, see you later, Anthony. Yo, bugger, you're a bit up a bit late, mate. You should be back in bed. And, uh, and he's not going to sing. He's not going to sing now. <laughs> yeah, he actually promised me at the beginning of the night that uh, that he would do a, a. No, he never did actually. He's, he's just going to look like Uncle Fester. Just put a fucking light globe in your mouth and show us what you got. <laughs> Come on, Mert, you can do it. That's nice. Come on, give us a lullaby. You promised them. Oh, and everybody that ordered shirts, the shirts are done and they're getting delivered to work and I should have them uh, tomorrow So, or, or the next day or sometime. But anyway, they're done. So it took a fucking long time, but they're very apologetic and we are not really sorry. We don't really care that much. You're going to get them. So thanks for all your support for those that bought shirts. There's lots of spares, so don't be afraid to buy shirts. Uh, yeah. And anybody that's listening to this on our podcast, just make sure that you tune in on Thursday nights on the Knife Making Down Under group on Facebook, where you can just listen to us record live. You can put in your uh, put in your comments, and I think we're just going to keep going with this live recording thing, aren't we, fellas? Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty good. Yeah. 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 We, yeah. Get the, we get that interaction with our wonderful viewers, which is nice. We get the sort of the same ugly faces every week, so it wouldn't be. Bad to get some new ones. Look at that. Fucking look at that ugly. Handsacker, he's after a 5XL. We're a three, mate. You Be just order charge. the fucker, Dino. Get onto the website and order it. And I don't know if I even got fucking spares of the five. Told you to get it earlier. <laughs> Come Fuck on, mate. Fuck me. Fucking hell. You're just fucking spanner in the works. <laughs> coupon code. Oh. No. Oh, yeah, they won't <laughs> coupon code. I haven't got one. Look, you know, at the end of the at the end of the day, this show is um, this show is and some, some, most of the costs, are, in fact, are all picked up by Gamma Cow, and for which we're thankful. Um, we try not to turn it into a big advertising fest, but 
you know, all of your guys' support of Gamaco over all the years that we've been doing what we're doing is just hugely appreciated. There's other suppliers in the industry. We want to see you guys support everybody. We want to see the industry grow. So, um, yeah, just um, <laughs> just make it be great. But give us all the support you can because we love you. Thank you very much. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Good night, everybody. Good night. Sweetheart. Good night, sweetheart. Good night. <laughs> Come on, Bert. <laughs> good night, sweetheart. I can't do it, Bert. That's nah. no good. Cut us off. Are you lonely, son? <laughs> oh, you cocksucker. <laughs> Keep going, you cabbage. Keep going. Well, Sing it. I'll, I'll no, do it next week. I'll do a singing next week. I, right. I'm, I'm a bit. We're gonna hold you I'm to bit, that. I can't breathe. I'm fucking crook. I got the fucking Rona. <laughs>